0: Imagine it's the year 1666. It's a bright summer morning, a cool sunlight cascading over the monastery walls to rest on the back of your neck here in the central courtyard. It's quiet here, but you're surprised at the bustle and activity all around you. Outside the gates, the Paris streets are still sleepy in the early morning, but here monks bustle through the courtyard carrying baskets of vegetables from the garden, racing to theology lectures drawing water from the little well in the corner near the wall. An older monk approaches you, welcoming you on behalf of the abbot and the brothers. You introduce yourself as Joseph Beaufort. Not that you need to. You're a member of the archbishop's inner circle. These monks know who you are. You follow this older fellow as he leads you out of the courtyard and deeper into the corridors of the monastery. You find yourself getting strangely nervous. You've come to meet with a great spiritual master and to set down in writing his method of prayer and communion. He is only a lay brother, but you picture him beatified, on his knees in some secluded cell, praying day and night, radiating a light of holiness. A pungent smell startles you from your reverie. It's the smell of rotting produce, boiled animal fat, and raw meat all mingled together. The old monk in front of you stops, descends a few shallow steps to the left, and opens a great wooden door... To your surprise, you see the monastery kitchen, alive and buzzing with activity. The monk gestures for you to follow him inside, and after a moment's hesitation, you do, thinking that perhaps the mystic's hermitage is through this way. The gray-haired brother brings you to the corner of the kitchen, where a huge tub of grimy water stands next to several buckets of compost. Standing at the tub hands plunged in up to his elbows, is a lumbering, awkward fellow washing dishes. Your guide introduces the dishwasher as Brother Lawrence. Your eyes open wide. This is the sage, the great master of prayer and presence. This is the person you've come to see. Brother Lawrence turns to you with an easy smile, dries his hands on his robes, and fetches a stool for you to sit on. He turns and continues washing dishes inviting you to ask whatever questions you've come to ask. The noise and chaos of the kitchen is all around you, so that you can hardly remember what you wanted to know. Without thinking, you ask as much to yourself as to Lawrence. How in the world do you pray, or even think one spiritual thought, in this kind of noise and busyness? Brother Lawrence smiles, and continues washing the empty dish in his big knobbly hands. One need not cry out very loudly, he says. He is nearer to us than we think.
1: Everybody and welcome to the These Days podcast. Uh, we've been talking about how is it that we can uh, be on the pathway to the resilient <laughs> way of Jesus. Uh, and the reason I'm laughing is because we are out here in the studios in the Garden of Eden tea mm. room that is in the midst of uh, the uh, subtropical rainforest. <laughs> and what I want everybody to know is that Ben lives in a very monastic peaceful place oh that's what i'm trying to say and there's giant trees here and it's just really stunning it's 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 wonderful uh but
0: uh, i live yeah. in a house in the woods that's yeah. what he's trying to say
1: but for the sake of people who care in your family like your mom we should say there are no <laughs> piles of compost in your kitchen or rotting vegetables it right, doesn't right okay right. just be clear <laughs> all right
0: but uh, i do have running water and electricity <laughs> Oh, yes,
1: yes, I can vouch for that. But uh, I was listening to the other podcasts that we've done, and way back when, in the very first podcast, Ben mentioned something I think we should call out because it really defines the podcast overall, particularly this first season, because there will be other seasons.
0: There, there are so many seasons planned, you have no idea what's There's coming. There's seasons
1: upon seasons. But uh, the reality is, is that... Uh, the Christian worldview is that it's the two most important days on our calendar is this day and that day, and that day being the Day of the Lord when He uh, brings about ultimate resilience uh, and when we believe that Jesus is coming back and and uh, making uh, the way of the truth and the life visible to the whole world again. Uh, but also this day, and that's particularly significant for us because to know what Jesus. What it means to live with Jesus and be resilient about it in this day, uh, in these days, and this time, in this moment when we are recording this podcast. Uh, we're just coming out or starting to come out across America out of the uh, coronavirus lockdown, uh, but these are timeless truths uh, about resilience uh, that will um, be meaningful no matter when you listen to this or no matter when you read the scriptures that we're talking about or hear the story, uh, again, of uh, Brother Lawrence. Uh, but you know, Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and then the early believers called uh, themselves the way, and uh, then the Roman Empire, because they couldn't quite fit them into the Jewish faith or into the pagan Roman faith, they called them the third way. They started calling them the third way over the next couple of hundred years. Uh, but what this whole thing has been patterned on is the resilient way the people lived that we find out right in the beginning of the book of Acts, in chapter 2, verse 42, When it says that they devoted themselves to four things and devoted themselves to uh, the apostles' teaching, which is scripture, to fellowship, and to community, and then finally, which is what we're starting today, the devoted pattern of prayer. Now, prayer is a very misunderstood topic, and lots of people, you know, either feel guilty about it or are bored by it, or other people are, you know, totally into it, but, you know, is there a picture of what it actually is really? Uh, what it is meant to be and is it really the resilient thing Jesus calls us to? Um, and uh, the answer to any of those questions may be yes or no, but what I'm saying is is this is the part that sort of uh, brings everything else together and brings us back to this point of resilience because uh, right now in these days, everybody's asking, are we coming back? Are we going to be resilient? And we as Christians are probably asking some of those questions, too, if you are a believer and you're listening to this podcast. If you're not, we we honor you for doing it. We, we're so thankful you're here. But uh, regardless of the challenges in our circumstances, there's one thing that... Kind of shines out of this fourth devoted pattern that really brings everything else together and brings all the other devoted patterns together in the full Christian life and the resilient way of Jesus. So, Ben, you want to kind of lead us into the big idea and uh, what that main thing is?
0: Sure. Yeah. I I like the the what you just said about um, this is sort of the the thing that ties everything else together. Prayer is sort of the the glue of the spiritual life it's sort of the thing that it's sort of the the thread that runs through every aspect of our life as jesus followers and it has the potential to uh take mundane things and make them into powerfully sacred things and we'll talk about that a little bit here shortly but uh, i want to talk about that cold open that story we we just told um maybe you're familiar with the name brother lawrence maybe not uh brother lawrence was a lay brother he was a monk um in the, a Carmelite monastery in Paris in the 17th century, and he was illiterate; he couldn't write. And uh, but he had this incredible communion with God. He he talked about how um, when he was 18 years old, he saw a tree that had no leaves on it, and he started reflecting about how in just a few months. It would be full of flowers and leaves and it would bud and it would flourish. And from that moment, he had a sense of God's power and God's love that then spurred him on not only to be converted to Christianity, but then to become a monk and to have this lifelong uh, communion with God where he would talk to God all day and every day. And people would come from miles and miles around to come and learn from Brother Lawrence. And the crazy thing was, he wasn't a spiritual leader in his monastery. He wasn't like, you know, one of the abbots, or he wasn't the, one of the guys leading the daily offices. He was a, a dishwasher and a cook's assistant in the kitchen, and he talked all the time about how busy life was in the kitchen and how hectic and chaotic it was, but how uh, it didn't take much to connect with God, and you, you didn't just have to connect with God in quiet on your knees or in um, the, the chants and the prayers that they sang in their daily offices, but you could connect with God throughout in every aspect of your life, thereby turning everything into a sacred moment. In fact, at the very end of that story we read at the beginning, we uh, we shared that quote of Brother Lawrence where he says, One need not cry very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think. The full quote from Brother Lawrence is this, He does not ask much of us, merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, Sometimes to ask for His grace, sometimes to offer Him our sufferings, at other times to thank Him for the graces past and present that He bestowed on you, in the midst of your troubles, to take some solace in Him as often as you can. Lift up your heart to Him during your meals, and in company, the least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to Him. One need not cry very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think." And so Brother Lawrence has this, um, this way of viewing the spiritual life as one of constant commun- communion with God. Uh, yes, on your knees and in quiet and in prayer and in those set-aside times, but no less throughout the busy times of your day. And all these old sayings that he had, w- which really kind of were a radical new way to think, or really an ancient way, but he was rediscovering this ancient way of how to think about prayer and communing with God, are all collected in a book um, called The Practice of the Presence of God, written Written uh, by the Grand Vicar of Paris during that time.
1: He, and uh, Lawrence was just a normal guy.
0: Yeah. Just big, a... old fuzzball, big old fuzzball.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, he was. He, he describes himself as just kind of a lunk, you know? Yeah, he the, was very clumsy. He came out of the military. Yeah. And,
0: yeah. Yeah. He talked about how he was very clumsy and not very intelligent, but he had this incredible ability to commune with God that uh, drew people in and taught them this new. Life giving way to go about their it gives hope to all faith. of
1: us, man. I mean, it's kind of like you know, almost makes you want to do the dishes.
0: I know, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's what we're talking about, and and Brother Lawrence's big um, focus, which is actually the focus of the New Testament as well, is that prayer is is um, we we sometimes get kind of lost in our culture uh, that we think of prayer as like. Asking for something or asking someone to pray for something. So, we even talk about does anyone have any pra- praises or prayers as if those are two different things? You know, like by prayers, we often mean like do you have a request or a, something you want to ask God for? The way Brother Lawrence talked about it and the way the New Testament writers talked about it is that prayer is all about the presence of Jesus. It's all about uh, the, it's just about communing with the presence that is with you all the time. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, is how is prayer something that enables us to engage with, connect with the actual, real, uh, almost tangible presence of Jesus in daily life?
1: Yeah, because for most people, including most Christians today, I know this is true in my life, that the big shift came um, for me in terms of understanding prayer, uh, not that I completely understand it, because it's, you know, uh, uh, such a deep well. It's a lifetime experience, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, but seeing that the presence of Jesus, relating to Jesus in his presence, his real presence, uh, connecting with him in a real way, uh, that that's what prayer really is, conversing with him, uh, as Brother Lawrence would say, uh, is really eye-opening. It's life-giving. It's certainly life-giving to your prayer life. It's world-changing thing when enough Christians, enough churches, enough people who have had their faith changed to see the presence of Jesus in their lives. It's, it's sort of the um, uh, Emmanuel nature of Jesus that he said he would never leave us, forsake us. He came. Uh, is Emmanuel God with us, and he said he would never leave us or forsake us. Uh, an analogy recently that's sort of come to my mind, uh, or really uh, something that I'm thinking there must be an analogy inside of, which I haven't fully comprehended yet, uh, is the sense of presence that we get when we do Zoom calls with one another, or we do z- cyber care, or we do friendship over the Internet. We're not physically present with each other then either. But I mean, I even think of it compared to you know the sort of the FaceTime, uh, Zoom calls, uh, you know any of the uh, visual uh, kinds of calls that we do through the computer now how much different that is even than email. And I remember when email came in, you know, how cool it was to be able to immediately talk to one another. Or I, the kids would go off to college and how, how helpful and encouraging it was. Every day I'd get on the computer and, and uh, do these one-sentence texts back and forth, and I would feel like I was having a conversation with them. I don't know if they got all their homework done, but dad was back there really needing to talk to him. But you know, it's it's a whole new imaginary, really, to see this. And to we often hear uh, of the presence of Jesus, or we hear of prayer, and we think it's sort of this ethereal, mystical thing. And the truth is, is there is a mystery to it. There's no doubt about that. But we think of mystical as more of a wishy or unreal kind of thing. And um, the problem is that's why so many of us have a hard time in hard times, and why uh, hard time. We have a hard time seeing the purpose of God in our lives in those times, or even be able to be uh, compelled to pray at any time of our life. The presence of Jesus doesn't seem real to us so often if we you know are honest with ourselves, or we tend to notice Jesus' presence by what he does in our lives, or by the changes in our circumstances, which we sometimes just chalk up to coincidence, uh, but... Jesus' presence is an abiding felt reality that we engage in at all times. And I would say for myself, uh, I have never even dared to call myself a great prayer warrior or be, you know, I mean, everybody says that, right? I mean, I don't know if you say that bad, but, uh, but it's, you know, nobody says, hey, I'm an expert in prayer because nobody feels like an expert in prayer. Um, and I, so it's it's not about that. I had a very helpful experience early on in my uh Uh, graduate work in seminary. I was at Regent College, and my old mentor, who is still alive today, I think he's 97, still uh, living in Vancouver, B.C., wonderful man, still thinking new thoughts and writing new things. Uh, But I had several classes on spirituality with him, and um, that's where I met him, actually. And then he became sort of a mentor for me and actually a a guiding light uh, for me. Uh, But I had one class just called Prayer the life of prayer. And I remember how he started that class. It was just like everybody was like, "Oh boy, that that seems better." <laughs> he he just he stood up and he says, "I just want you to know you probably pray more than you think you do. And if you don't if you doubt that, just think about the fact that you know, have you had any thoughts today where you wish God would, you know, show his presence in your life? Have you had any thoughts today where you're sort of thinking in your mind, you know. If I could talk to God, that's this is what I tell him, or I need to I need to have some prayer time on that, or whatever. Those are all parts of what you're experiencing, or even when you read the Scripture and think God's thoughts after Him, He says that's prayer. But He says the important thing is not the act of praying. The important thing is not the words that you pray. It's not even the actual, um, you know, expressions that you use in and of themselves, or how you know how, you know the the you know, stance whether your head is bowed or you're standing up or it's it's relating to one another two two beings relating to one another it's that that's how much of a gift this is he said he says it's like two people who are in love and they're sitting on a park bench and if you were to talk to them later they might say something you might ask them questions they might say you know did you did you say anything and they might say no nah, not really and then you say well did you do anything and, and they'd say well no we just sat with each other and then you say well, well was it enjoyable? And i will say, oh, yeah, it was very enjoyable. So it's enjoying the presence of God. And uh, on the other hand, prayer is an adventure of a lifetime. You know, it's the, you know, um, conversation with the God of the universe. And that's big, which is the understatement of the cosmos, right? That you can have a close relationship with, uh, with that God. Uh, St. Augustine said it this way one time. He he once preached a sermon in which he said, when we approach God's presence and really begin to see him, uh, we'll be insatiably satisfied without growing weary. So we'll have all our fill and completely full, but we won't grow weary, kind of like Ben and I are right now because we had tacos for lunch and we're very full. <laughs> so we're, we're very satiated and we're weary. But you know, but with God that doesn't happen that way. And he said, "We will have attuned our ear to the capital V voice, which once we hear it leaves us desiring to listen forever, not, "Hey, I've had enough." So, that's the kind of refreshing nature that prayer is when you really connect with God's when Jesus' presence, he fills you up, and it's the beginning of that's why it's so powerful in terms of this whole idea of resilience is because he fills you up and you still are hungry for more all at the same time it's um, that's what he's meant to have this relationship with us that he calls prayer
0: yeah I like that Augustine quote and I like I like that idea of um, he, listening for the voice prayer as listening for the voice you know capital V voice that reminds me of a poem by a modern a modern, Um, Episcopal poet named Mary Oliver, um, an American poet. uh, She has a poem called Praying, and she says, It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention and then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but a doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. And I really like that uh, poem because she says uh, it's not about your words and what you say or how you do it. There are a lot of practices and best practices that we'll go over next week and the following week. Um, but it's not really about how we do it or how we engage in it or or what what kind of technique we use. It's not about our words or our efforts. It's actually about that voice. It's actually about somebody else's presence. And it's a, that's a huge shift in our prayer life when we recognize that our prayer life actually isn't about what we do. It's about the the presence that we're, the being that we're trying to connect with or have, have an experience of the presence of God. Um, and that he's actually the, the most active party in our prayer life. Um, and I think that that's a really important shift to make in our thinking. And I think it's also important to make uh, maybe one of the most important first shifts in our thinking that we can make as regards prayer is that prayer isn't necessarily a thing we do, but it's a life we live. It's sort of a stream that we swim in all the time, uh, and it's it's sort of a part of our nature. If we've been if we've been regenerated as followers of Jesus, we have the Spirit of God living within us. Then prayer is like. Our natural habitat. It's like water to a fish. It's like what we what we are meant to thrive in is this life of prayer, rather than this act that we do or this uh, this thing we do uh, to to make God happy with us. It's actually this. Um, it's it's our life. It's the air we breathe, uh, and it's 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 meant to happen not just at specific times, but it's meant to be a whole way of living. And The problem. Uh, is that most people can't really see the relational connection of prayer uh, because it doesn't really fit. We talked about this a little bit in the last few weeks when we've been talking about relationships and community, but that sort of um, relational priority doesn't really fit in our current social imaginary. We don't really understand um, the the intangibles that sort of pass between people in relationship, and even less so when it comes to God. One of our... main tenets of our modern worldview that we're kind of all swimming in and all, all getting from the media right now is this idea of naturalism, which is uh, if it's not testable, quantifiable and, and observable, then it is not really real. It might be real in a sense or some, you know, some people might feel like it's real, but it's not really the most true thing. Uh, As if uh, science is the only way of knowing. Right. right. Uh, or, or even that science is the best way of knowing. They might say, you know, you can know in a spiritual Sense, but the the primary knowledge, the real solid facts, or are, are these other things? Nothing wrong
1: with science. It's right, just, it's a blessing, but only goes so far, right?
0: Right. Uh, we were talking about this quote um, from Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's a good guy and seems to be doing his best to to lead us in a lot of uh, helpful ways uh, in this crazy coronavirus time. But he did say this really interesting phrase, where he said, "The virus will decide the timeline, as if there is no other reality outside." The observable, testable world of of medical science, Um, which is, you know, the virus will decide the timeline. That's true in a sense, but in in an even more true sense, in an even truer, more uh, rock-solid, factual sense, God will decide the timeline. Uh, and it's, it's ultimately, there's another reality beyond just our observable data. But this idea of naturalism, that, that th- this is really all there is, or the most true thing is what's right in front of me, we don't have a lot of sense of uh, that prayer would actually be that useful for us or that engaging with this quote-unquote presence of God would actually do much for our day-to-day lives. And so we relegate prayer to, to maybe something we do corporately on a Sunday morning, or something we maybe do a little bit throughout our week in our personal quiet times. But it's not this lifestyle that we live necessarily. Um, and a big part of that comes from uh, what is called personhood theory, which is a idea talked about by Francis Schaeffer quite a bit, and more recently by Nancy Piercy, where um, our modern worldview... Well, it's actually a really ancient worldview from the time of the ancient Greek philosophers, but it's been resurrected in our 21st century Western world, that we have this idea that human beings have these two separate realities. Part of us is spiritual, and part of us is physical and temporal, right? And we separate those two, and we say, you know, what I really think and feel is the most important thing, and my body's just matter to do with what I will, and or and vice versa. Sometimes we say, well, my my physical health is really important, but I can sort of do whatever, I can put whatever I want into my mind and my heart and whatever, right? So we we, we sort of divide these two, but the scriptures show us that we as human beings are actually embodied spiritual beings, or as C.S. Lewis would say, we are spiritual animals, and you can't uh, rip the two apart. So I think sometimes, as Christians in the 21st century, we think of prayer as a like high spiritual exercise that we engage in at special spiritual times, and uh, and there's a couple problems with that. First of all, it means that we relegate God to only very specific times and places in our lives and his presence to very specific times and places. The other problem is when we're not feeling particularly spiritual, whether we're bored, distracted, or we feel guilty, like we haven't been paying enough attention to God, maybe we've sinned in some way, then we start to feel like we can't engage in the spiritual practices, so we actually begin to ignore the presence of God. When we don't see ourselves as one unified being in our spiritual life and our physical embodied day-to-day temporal in time kind of life are actually one thing. And so the spirit, So, what that does when we start to have that shift of thinking and recognize that, we, that there really isn't that split between secular and sacred in the Bible, uh, that we start to recognize that everything becomes spiritual. Everything is infused with the presence of God. I remember this one time when I first started working uh, at Eastridge, And we, uh, there was some sort of, um, class or conference we were talking, we were doing. And, um, and somebody, somebody uh, was having uh, some folks do an exercise of uh, write down all the things you do during your day on different sticky notes, just a pile of twenty sticky notes, all the different things you might do during the day, and then split those things into piles. In one pile is the spiritual things, and in the other pile is all the non-spiritual things. And the idea was to point out. And I think this is worth pointing out. The idea was how much attention do we actually pay to our spiritual lives in the midst of our day? That's worth pointing out. But the way it came across was there are spiritual things in our lives and there are unspiritual things. And if we want to be more spiritual, we need to do less of the non-spiritual things like washing dishes like doing laundry, like taking care of kids, like whatever, cleaning the house, making food, working for money. We just do less of those, and we need to do more of the spiritual things, like uh, getting on our knees in prayer for hours and hours and reciting certain creeds and reading certain scriptures and meditating and listening to Gregorian chant and all these things that we would think of as highly spiritual. But what prayer actually does is it infuses, it becomes a thread that runs through every moment of our day, our physical temporal day to day life and elevates the ordinary to the realm of extraordinary the the realm of supernatural the realm of uh quote unquote spiritual it makes it makes what we would think of as the secular makes it sacred it actually uh when we encounter that we're going to talk about this in a second but when we encounter that presence of God far from sort of uh, our earthly temporal Time and space, life sort of defiling him. He actually sanctifies our day-to-day temporal mm-hmm. existence. So the power of prayer is actually really transformational, not just for our spirit, quote unquote, spiritual life, but for our whole life as we engage with this presence. And I think that's actually what Brother Lawrence was trying to get at uh, in his in his, the practice of the presence of God all of those centuries ago. Was that the the most mundane, even hectic tasks, can become uh, opportunities to engage with the presence of God.
1: Yeah, that's really revolutionary, you know, 400 years ago that he would come up with that and as a, you know, untrained, unscholarly person uh, it's just so refreshing because uh, that unity... Uh, or that bringing together of the whole person. It, you know, I've heard the illustration of Brother Lawrence Hughes before in sort of the sense of, hey, you know what, even if you're just a dishwasher, even if you're just uh, doing dishes, you can praise the Lord. And that's, that, you know, you can pray to God. And, you know, that, that's, that's true. But there's so much more to it than that. Really what he was doing was bringing together uh, the mundane, the everyday, and the, the spiritual, like you said. And, and that's why I think... That very that's the crux of the issue for so many people today, uh, because there are so many schismatic uh, spiritualities floating around out there. And that's why it's no accident that prayer continues to be an idea that a vast majority of people on the planet, although they have various theologies and what they mean by the word of prayer are and a lot of those aren't things that we would mean by the word prayer—but uh, it shows that everybody has a desire for it in some way, has a desire to connect relationally with uh, the one who is beyond us, with the, you know, wh- whoever that is, uh, you know, that uh, if a person maybe doesn't even believe in God, but you know, people continually say, "Well, I'm a spiritual person, though," um, and what that does is it actually contradicts naturalism because naturalism says, "No, no, 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 all, all we see and all we can experiment on and all these so forth, that's all there is." I love what uh, Timothy Keller says about this in his book called Prayer. Uh, the subtitle is Experiencing the On Intimacy of God. Listen to this quote. There is a sense of the necessity of prayer we have to pray. Across Western society, an interest has been growing in spirituality, meditation, and contemplation that began a generation ago, perhaps inaugurated by the highly publicized uh, interest of the Beatles and Eastern forms of meditation and fueled by the decline of institutional religion, which actually that was a couple of generations ago now, right? Uh, Do you like the Beatles, Ben, by the way?
0: Uh, Yeah.
1: Good, I thought I raised you (laughs) right. Okay, so, but listen to this last thing. Fewer and fewer people know the routine of regular religious services, and yet some kind of spiritual craving remains. You know, I think he's right. That's interesting. In fact, speaking of that spiritual craving, Ben, why don't you tell us about uh, some of your experiences that you had with this hunger for spirituality uh, before you were an international podcast star, <laughs> uh, back when you were working in theater more than you are it, today.
0: International podcast yeah. well, star. you are, nice. hey, Canada's yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: international, man. I mean,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have like a listener, a yeah, listener in Canada. <laughs>
1: a couple, maybe. <laughs> I,
0: yeah. um, no, I used to work in uh, the theater uh, industry, uh, live theater And, uh, yeah, man, I was just such a weirdo. I was a weirdo because I would go to church and then come to rehearsal or, uh, you know, they knew I would preach at my church from time to time, or, uh, they'd see me praying before shows or whatever. And uh, there were some people who had a nickname for me. They'd call me the pastor. they just call me Pastor. Hey, what's up, Pastor? And they did it sort of tongue-in-cheek, sort of a little bit to, to poke a little bit at me.
1: That's a better ordination than most of us have,
0: though. I know, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's really interesting because people, uh, when, they, when they see you uh, engaging with you know, some, something that seems to really be uh, real, uh, you know, as people would see me uh, living a resilient Life or uh, engaging in spiritual practices that seem to uh, bring me life and actually seem to infuse my day with meaning, uh, people over time would become pretty curious and I would get a lot of interesting questions. Or I remember there was a time when, um, what, what very rarely happens, uh, I remember there was a time when uh, an, another actor in the show with me was also a follower of Jesus, which is just so rare. So we would pray together before each performance. Uh, and in this particular show, you know, the actors were on stage as the audience came in, so it was in full view of the audience that we would do this. And every night, some random cast member would want to come join us and pray with us, or maybe just stand with us as we prayed out loud. Uh, and it was really interesting to see people crave something; they wanted. They, there was a craving for something, and in that community, it often took the form of um, honestly outright paganism. Um, paganism and witchcraft are pretty popular, at least in Portland and the in the arts community. Um, but I think as human beings, we have a real hunger for something that gives meaning to the events of our days. And when people see somebody who's engaging in that, who's actually seems to be engaging with a real presence that transforms their lives and turns the ordinary into, sacred, into something sacred, they begin to get really curious, really curious and ask really interesting questions and want to sort of get close to that, even if they don't quite know how to put it into words.
1: Mm. That's good. So we're all created to want the presence of Jesus. That's uh, what we're talking about. We're all created to want God with us. And and that's the reasonable implication of uh, growing interest in spirituality. And biblically, that's called, we'll look at this next week, the imago Dei, the, the image of God in us. Dallas Willard, though, he calls it the beyond within. Listen to this quote from uh, Renovation of the Heart. I, I To me, I don't know about you, Ben, because you're You've uh, dealt with this book more than me. But I think this is the money quote of the whole book right here. The money quote. This is what they paid
0: him the big bucks for right here. Yeah, well, yeah. Or,
1: (laughs) or, or, yeah, God did, because he's uh, got his eternal reward right now. But um, here's what he says. The spiritual renovation and the spirituality that comes from Jesus is nothing less than an invasion of natural human reality by a supernatural life from above. Spirituality and spiritual formation are often understood today as entirely human matters. The, quote, beyond that is within, unquote, is thought to be a human dimension of power that if we only manage it rightly, will transform our life into divine life. And here's what he says about that. That's sort of the naturalistic way of approaching spirituality. But here's what he says. But whether or not a spirituality is adequate to human need and producing genuine renovation of the heart can be a matter of mere human abilities is a question of fact. In other words, that approach to the beyond within that somehow we can muster our own way there and we can figure it out on our own is, 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 a, is proven by fact that it's not possible. And he, he winds it up with this. To be mistaken about it, Will have consequences of the most serious nature, and that's why prayer in the, you know, praying the presence of God in our life, and to understand that that's what we're doing is so huge to the spiritual life, to the Christian life, and it's even huge to the longing of all people, whether or not they call themselves Christians or not. So basically, what this is all saying is. You know, rather than some hollow ritual or some optional feel-good practice that you know, hey, you really should do this because I heard about it on a daytime talk show, or you know, it'll calm you, it'll it'll de-stress your life. All of which may
0: you'll uh, be ten percent happier. Yeah,
1: yes, you know, you, you, could somebody figured out how to quantify that. But the reality is, is prayer is for Christians. Prayer for true prayer for everybody is what breathing is to a human. It's what breathing is to the to the the whole being of soul, body, soul, and spirit to a to, to a human being. In other words, it's our true nature. It's what we were made for. In that sense, you could say it's the true capital N naturalism. So Ben, why don't you wrap us up and bring us home with some biblical examples here?
0: Yeah, I was actually just thinking about um, that idea of uh, prayer. Prayer is basically like breathing. True prayer is, is something so essential to who we are that it's like breathing. Um, and there's some hints to this in the, in the New Testament, I think of specifically some things the Apostle Paul says. In Acts seventeen twenty eight. he says that it's, it's in God that we live and move and have our being. And in Ephesians chapter four, he says that God, there is one God and Father of all, and He is over all and through all and in all. And this isn't supportive. I think sometimes we shy away from passages like these because because some people can twist them to be supportive of a almost pagan or polytheistic kind of worldview. But uh, what what I think Paul is actually saying is God is the creator of of the world, and His presence is actually still here every, every moment of our day. If we're a follower of Jesus, Jesus, we have the presence of God dwelling with us and in us. And so what he's trying to say, I think, is that far from being just the spiritual pr- thing that you do or or your your faith is just some religion that you, quote-unquote, practice, it's actually all through out every part of your day. It's like the air you breathe. And so to pray is just to engage in the world in a way where you're actually living in reality, where you're actually breathing, and where you're actually... Uh, sustaining life through your day. Yeah, you know,
1: in that Acts 17 quote, uh, he, Paul was doing what you're doing right now and what I just did in terms of saying, hey, all, look at all around us that we all have these kind of desires and longings, because that quote of that god uh, in him we live and move and have our being that was actually a pagan quote that he adopted and said right. yeah you're right
0: that's on like mars hill right and right exactly yeah yeah so he's surrounded by all this this paganism he's saying actually what 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 you're hungering for is is true you're just not engaging with it in the right way life is spiritual there is a sacred element to everything we do it's just that that is found in the presence of jesus once we are followers of him and uh, we see this all through the scriptures we we see in Romans 8 that the Spirit is with us and prays for us with groanings too deep for words. Uh, we, we see it in um, a, as the, the, the presence of Jesus that actually sanctifies and transforms us. Even in the Old Testament, like the pre-incarnate presence of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 6, coming to, to uh, purify Isaiah, the hot coal. Um, and this is what happens throughout our day. We become people who are transformed by His presence. By his presence, rather than trying to become, trying to purify ourselves or become a certain spiritual, get in a certain spiritual frame of mind so that we can approach the throne and have communion with him. That presence with him, that communion with him and his presence actually is what transforms us and puts us quote unquote in a spiritual frame of mind it's him acting on us more than it's us acting on him i think that's really important to remember that we're not changing god we might change circumstances through our prayers but ultimately it's about his presence acting on us and changing us or as uh, dallas willard puts it we're aligning ourselves with the kingdom of god Mm -hmm. through prayer so uh the big takeaway this week that we want to really just like drive home is that prayer is about presence. It's not necessarily about practices or words that we say, although there's some some things that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks about helpful things to do to cultivate a good prayer life or a strong prayer life, um, a life of prayer. But uh, but ultimately, it's about the presence that we're engaging with and how that presence can act on us and change us. And that shift in thinking is hugely important as we begin to think about how do we not just have a quote-unquote prayer life, but actually live a life of prayer. So you might begin praying this week. You might begin praying something like, Lord, do a miracle of opening our hearts and showing us your presence in these days. And by doing so, make us resilient. You might pray something along those lines, just asking God to open your eyes to His presence that's with you everywhere in every aspect of life, and understand that your prayer, your prayers and, and your life of prayer is more about Him than it is about you and how you practice, or, yeah, or the practices on, you
1: do. Be on the resilient pathway together, if we all kind of join in a prayer like that.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That presence, the presence of Jesus is actually the thing that makes us resilient. Uh, and this is a primary way that we get to engage with that presence is through the the life of prayer that runs through all of our days.
1: All right. Books and stuff.
0: Books and stuff.
1: Uh, uh, you had a stuff you wanted to talk about, but you couldn't find how we can get a hold of it
0: well there's a there's a great documentary um out there that you can find uh through the library or you can find it online in certain places it's uh it's almost three hours long <laughs> uh,
1: and it's a silent movie it's, well nobody talking anyway. it's mostly
0: silent it's called uh, integrate silence and it is a three-hour uh depiction of life in a monastery um, in Chartreuse in France, in the French Alps, and it's a Carthusian monastery, and it's just kind of like the daily life and rhythm. And I know we're talking about how God's presence can be with us and prayer can happen in everyday life, in the busyness of our normal existence, but there's something for me about watching this rhythm of prayer, where I'm watching people enact the internal reality that I'm meant to carry with me through all of my days. You know, these people live it in time and space, but but their their same sense of prayer and presence with God is something that I can carry with me throughout all of my days. So I actually have found this documentary super helpful in discovering how I relate to God and the sort of uh, attitude I carry with me into everyday life. Also, would like to recommend a couple of books. For this and stuff
1: well first of all <laughs> on that movie yeah do they take you into the kitchen and stuff like is oh, there yeah. a
0: dishwasher there they show you everything there's a dishwasher mm-hmm. i don't think his name is lawrence
1: is there piles of rotting vegetables and compost
0: the, all around i'm pretty sure like, or
1: is it cleaner than that i'm
0: pretty sure it's cleaner okay this is a modern a modern just wanted to now. know if i could
1: watch that show without be fri- being frightened and scared right yeah Oh, you have a couple books. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about. Okay, go.
0: I have a couple books to recommend. Uh, One is called "The Possibility of Prayer." Just came out by it's by John Stark. He lives in uh, New York City and pastors a church in New York City. Very busy place uh, and hectic world to try to cultivate a life of prayer. And he just basically talks about how it is possible to have a deep and meaningful life of prayer, even in our hectic and busy times. Another book that's really helpful by Tim Chester, who's a pastor in England, he wrote a book called Enjoying God. And it's about communing with God in all of your uh, day-to-day existence and all the different... um, Circumstances that we might engage in. He does a lot of uh, scenario thought experiments of imagine this is happening, here's how God can connect with you even in the midst of that time. So uh, both of these are really helpful and practical books, um, and both have, have been hugely helpful to me.
1: And I'll just uh, recommend the book, uh, the little booklet, really, that we... Uh launched this whole thing with, and that is Practicing the Presence of God. Actually, technically, it's called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. It's actually an interview from 1666. Uh, The translation that I have is from uh, Baker, uh, which is very helpful because it's a very kind of up-to-date translation, and it's a helpful book. It's it's really, uh, like I said, uh, more of a... Uh, booklet, uh, the, I, you know, if, for those of you who are thinking, man, I don't know about reading uh, a, a book like that. There, there are no pictures, can't promise you pictures, but it's only 64 pages long, and it's... Uh Really like an elongated poem in many ways. I
0: read that book for the first time in theater class. Is that right? Yep, I was sitting in the corner while someone else was working on their scene on stage, and I read that book. It changed my life. Well, maybe
1: that's why you are the
0: pastor. There you you go.
1: All right, well, God bless you, everybody, and be safe. Uh, We'll see you next week.